Children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. What is the greatest dynasty, dynasty you can think of? What's the greatest dynasty that you can think of? Some of you might automatically think of a sports dynasty, whether it's the Celtics or, you know, that, that long-lived Cowboys dynasty. Some might think of the New York Yankees in baseball. But some of you also might have thought of a kingdom dynasty. And a dynasty can be rated as great in many different ways. I decided to define dynasty by great by their land size. Did you know that at one time, Great Britain occupied 26% of the world? 13 0.71 million square miles is what Great Britain claimed as their land. The Mongol Empire, one of the largest contingous empire in the world, went from the Pacific Ocean to the Danube River and to the shores of the Persian Gulf. Nine million square miles. Alexander the Great, who lots of us might assume is the greatest ruler, greatest warrior and fighter, his dynasty only covered two million square miles. And then the Romans, who reigned for almost 500 years, the largest their territory ever exceeded was 1.6 million square miles. These are huge landmasses. 26% of the world was occupied by Great Britain. This morning, John is telling us something significant about Jesus. That his dynasty, his kingdom, is not of this world. What I hope that we see this morning is what that actually means. Because what Jesus has been revealing from the very beginning of John's gospel is that he has come to make him who sent him known, the Father, that we might know him in truth and in grace. That Jesus was sent into this world, and this world did not receive him. This world rejected him. And that Jesus, the word became flesh, came to dwell among us in this world. But his kingdom is not of this world. And yet what we have to see this morning is the spectacle of a power struggle. Sometimes we can think of people having power or groups having power in different ways, whether it's political or social. 
or experiential. What we have this morning before us, what John is presenting before us, is this power struggle for whose kingdom, whose kingdom has sovereign reign. And as we saw two weeks ago, the Pharisees joined themselves with the Romans and they came to arrest Jesus. And John doesn't let our imagination go very far. For as this band of soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Jesus evoked the divine name and all of them fell to the ground. Jesus' power was revealed, but yet what did we see? We saw that Jesus gave himself up. That Jesus was arrested. And that Jesus now stands trial. What we're going to see this morning is that we have those same characters of the story. We still have the Pharisees. And if you want to know the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, you should be able to ask any of your children that come to youth group, because I went over this in detail last week. We have the Pharisees, we have Pilate, and we have Jesus. And all three of them understand what a kingdom and a dynasty is but they all see them as something different. And what I want us to ask ourselves this morning is in which of these areas do we crave power? Which in these areas that will be revealed, where do we see ourselves in playing out this power game over our lives? And we have to ask ourselves, what power do we crave? Because as the scripture reveals, and what I believe this passage testifies to, is that if we don't believe in the almighty power of Jesus, we don't understand who Jesus really is. And even if we do believe in Jesus, are we willing to submit to this Jesus? This Jesus who claims that his power is not of this world. And what I hope that we see is that even though his kingdom is not of this world, Jesus is the one that holds all the power. Before we go to the text, let us pray. <clears throat> Father, be with us this morning. Reveal yourself to us. There is nothing that I can say this morning that will change a single heart, that will open a deaf ear, that will heal a blind eye. But if you move this morning by the power of your spirit, you can perform a miracle in our lives by revealing to us who Jesus really is.
Lord, I pray for those who are sick, for those who are hurting. Lord, I continue to pray for Jonathan Pence that you heal him from his cancer. Father, I lift up Joan Raspberry and Cynthia Jaqua and Claire Reddit and Dr. Lynch. And Lord, I ask for your healing and your blessing upon them. Father, we pray for our church. We pray that you bring a new youth director to us. Someone who might love your word, who might love you so much that they can't do anything but share that good news with our students. We pray for the CPYC conference coming up in December. Lord, may that be a place where our students can go and be encouraged, that they might learn, but they also might have a community that points them in the way of Jesus. We pray for your hand of blessing to be on all of our small groups this semester. Lord, as much as we'd like to have fun and laugh and have good drink and have good food, Lord, may those groups be founded upon Jesus and his word. Lord, may we look into our community and be salt of the earth and a light in the darkness. Lord, I pray that you bless the Halford family as they open up their new business in Somerville. We pray that it might be a business that stands in this community, for the community, but also for the glory of God. Lord, I pray for all of us who work here in Somerville and Oakland. That we might use our God-given gifts to bring forth your kingdom here and now. Lord, please bless our farmers. Please bless this crop. Keep them safe. Father, we pray for our sister church, Trinity, PCA, and Collierville. I pray for Hunter Brewer, their pastor, that he might proclaim the gospel this morning, that you might bless the work of his hands in that church, that they will be a church founded upon the unwavering promises of God for the good of that people and for that community. Lord, I pray for our president and our vice president. I pray for our senators and our representatives, for the judicial system. Lord, so often we think about our government and we just don't even know what to pray for. But Lord, you know what they need. Please bless them. Give them wisdom. 
May good Christian men and women continue to serve. Lord, we ask that that you bless our missionaries. We ask that you comfort them. That the professors need what they have, that they receive what they need. How we look forward to them visiting us. And Father, may we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What is a kingdom? Well, a kingdom can be defined simply as a place or a providence that's ruled by a king or a queen. And as I said earlier, just a, a landmass. But what a true kingdom should do is a true kingdom and its people should re- reflect its king. And this is what we find in John's gospel. They, in verse 28, then they, the Pharisees, led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the, gov- to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's kingdom so that they would not be defiled because it was the Passover. These Pharisees had set up their own kingdom. Yes, they cared about God's law. Yes, they were very pious. Yes, they cared about what they thought and taught about who God was. But in all of that, what the Pharisees have done here is the Pharisees have set up their own kingdom. Now, it's not strictly a kingdom with a king, because unfortunately God wasn't their king. But is it, a, is it, it is a kingdom in that they had a people who prescribed to a certain way of thinking and a certain rules and lived according to those rules. And as we saw last week, John continues with this irony. This irony that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests, the ones who should realize who Jesus really is, are the ones who don't. They don't see him. They don't recognize him. These Pharisees were a group of religious leaders that were placed to teach the people about who God was. But this is what they're... This is what they're worried about in this passage. They didn't want to go into the governor's house because they didn't want to become unclean. This is what one commentator says. The Jews take elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the Passover. At the very same time, they are busy manipulating a judicial system to secure the death of him who alone is the true Passover. 
John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of the Passover was killed and its blood was put over the doorpost so that the angel of the Lord might pass over his people and redeem them out of Egypt. And here we have the Lamb of God in the midst of his people, and they're trying to kill him fraudulently. Revealing what their true desire is. They want to be their own kings. They want to set up their own rules. They want the law to rule over them rather than the lawgiver. They want this religious ceremony. They wanted the righteousness that they produced themselves and this manipulation of what they thought was right. And they wanted to have a checkbox of what it meant to stand before a king and be good. Their kingdom was established based upon their moral ethic and what they thought was good. But this is what Hosea tells us that the Lord desires. I desire desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This doesn't mean that the burnt offerings are bad. This doesn't mean that the law is bad. But what this means is that if we use the law in an unlawful way, we begin to set up our own kingdoms. And this kingdom that the Pharisees have set up is a kingdom of righteousness based upon what they do. And what I want us to ask ourselves this morning, is this the type of kingdom that we are setting up in our own lives? Is this how we live daily? Do we have a moral checkbox that as long as I do these things on the list, we're good? It's like saying, oh, I went out running this morning. Tonight, I can eat whatever I want. Or are we coming before the living Christ with the only sacrifice that he requires of us. That we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, not being conformed to the kingdoms of this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds, the gospel of Jesus. Because what the Pharisees have done is that they've so confused what they thought was right with who God was. They thought somehow we can do just enough to get God to love us and to earn our salvation. But that is the opposite of what Jesus has come, of why Jesus said he has come. That's not what his kingdom looks like. His kingdom looks like people who are covered with his righteous blood, and we come before God 
with nothing, with nothing but our own sin. You don't have to maintain your own righteousness to come to Jesus. This isn't a power struggle between ourselves and between Jesus. We have none. The only power we bring ourselves is the power to sin, the power to wonder, the power to deny Jesus. The problem that the Pharisees had was they didn't care about God. They only cared about themselves. And we have to ask ourselves that same question. Do we care about God? Or do we only care about what God can do for us? This is the divine irony that John is trying to present They were trying to please God, but instead they killed God, and they gave him over to Pilate. Now, Pilate accommodated these desires. He came out and met them. It says in verse 29, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him. If this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, this might seem confusing because if you know your Old Testament, the the Jews actually did have laws where they could put people to death. But when Rome came in, they took all of those restrictions. They took the death penalty away from the Jews and so that they didn't have a way to kill Jesus. But then we also look at the text. The text reveals itself that they didn't have enough evidence according to their own laws to kill Jesus. But that's not the main point. What John wants us to see here is that God is still in control because this is what he says in verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Three times throughout this gospel, Jesus has said, he must be lifted up. In John chapter 3, verse 14, in John chapter 8, verse 28, but specifically in John chapter 12, Verse 32 and 33, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The only way for Jesus to be crucified, to be lifted up from the earth, was to go to trial and to be executed by the Romans. Because the Jewish law, the only way to execute someone was to stone them. And so, they needed Rome. They needed Rome to find Jesus guilty 
so that he could be put on a cross. And so to fulfill the very words of Jesus himself. Student, what's, what, what are we talking this week about? What does a prophet do according to Deuteronomy 18? He comes in the name of the Lord and he says something's going to happen and that thing happens. And Moses tells the people, what are you supposed to do if that thing doesn't happen? Don't listen to him. He's not a prophet. But what do we see here? Jesus says three times that something's going to happen, and then it happens. Red light flashing, listen to Jesus. In the other Gospels, all three Gospels record Jesus saying three times, I am going to be crucified. The Jews need Pilate. They can't do this on their own. But then we find this Pilate character. And he's not concerned with the same things that the Jews are concerned about. That's what he says. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? No, that's not what Pilate is concerned about. Pilate is more concerned about what Jesus is about to do to his kingdom. Whether Jesus was going to have a revolt like we saw last week, the Maccabean revolt. Is he going to bring an uprising against Pilate and his power? Pilate's main concern is only one thing, maintaining control over his people. And so Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And this is where we see Jesus revealing his kingdom to Pilate. And here's why I think Pilate is very significant. Not only was Pilate, do we say Pilate's name in our creed every single week, but here also Pilate represents the Gentiles. Pilate represents the rest of the known world. And here's Jesus standing before him, telling him that he is a king. And you know that Jesus likes talking about the kingdom. 126 times we find in the Gospels, Jesus used the word kingdom. But other than this, other than John chapter 18, we only see it twice in John's Gospel. Both of them are when he's speaking to Nicodemus. This is what he said to Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to him Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to him at night. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the, in, the kingdom of God. 
to see this kingdom, this kingdom that is not of this world, is to believe in Jesus. It requires a spiritual rebirth. The only entrance point to this kingdom is through faith, repentance, which is exactly what our baptism points us to. John isn't as concerned to teach about what the kingdom of God is as the other gospel writers. He's interested in teaching how one enters into that kingdom. And it's interesting, although John never uses the words kingdom of God, he uses very frequently the words of eternal life. What the kingdom of God brings. What happens once people enter into that kingdom? What they receive from their king is life. Life everlasting. And so John doesn't use these words of kingdom of God or of the kingdom of heaven, but he is more concerned with this spiritual heavenly life. Through faith, those who believe in Jesus enter into this kingdom. Jesus answers Pilate's questions honestly and truthfully. His kingdom is not of this world. You can't touch it or taste it or see it. But you can hear it. You can hear the kingdom of God. For it's proclaimed in the gospel of who Jesus is and why he came. And the kingdom of God is where God is feared. Where God is truly known and where sin has been overcome. Where forgiveness and grace are the entry points, this kingdom which he's calling all of his followers to call him the one true king is the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom where Jesus taught his disciples God's name will be hallowed. It will be glorified. And it's a kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a kingdom of renewal. This kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, is where there is anyone who is found in Christ, united to the king himself, that is there where they are found to be new creations. The old has passed and the new has come. Jesus' kingdom is not from this world because this world is a kingdom of darkness and his is a kingdom of light. In the same way he prayed for his disciples, do not be of this world, but be in this world. Jesus' kingdom also has power. It has power to save. It has power to heal. It has power to give sight 
to give life. It has power because who the king is. And he's redeeming this world. And that although Pilate might not be able to see it, although the world might not be able to see it or taste it or smell it and touch it, guess what the truth is for us? We can. We can see the kingdom. We can see people come to repentance of their sin and follow after Jesus. We can see prayers answered. We can see children come to faith. Parents come to faith. Inmates coming to faith. Because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And there's no way into the kingdom except through him. And this is how Pilate responds. For Jesus answered him, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And I have to be really honest with all of you. I was really dissatisfied with a lot of the answers that I read about this question. What does Pilate mean when he asks, what is truth? A lot of well-meaning people said that Pilate was the quintessential postmodern. That he's asking what is truth in the same type of way that we in our society asks what is truth. But that's anachronistic. That's taking something from our time and placing it back in their time. Modernity didn't come into philosophy until the 17th century. So when Pilate is asking what is truth, he's not saying that there isn't something other than an objective truth. But what I, want, what I think what John is trying to teach us is the point is that Pilate didn't hear him. Jesus just told him, I bear witness to the truth. Everyone who hears truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what? What is this truth that you talk about? Pilate failed to hear the word to become flesh, to reveal the truth and the grace of God. Because Pilate was too worried about maintaining his power. I asked earlier, what type of kingdoms are we setting up that we might struggle for this power? I also might ask us, what are we using to blind ourselves? from seeing the power of God in our own lives. From seeing who Jesus really is and what Jesus has really come to do. Because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life to God himself. To a better king. To a better place. 
to a better world. Because it's a world that he's renewing by the power of his own spirit. And as we study this morning in Sunday school, where we become sons and daughters of the Most High King. The Pharisees missed it. Pilate missed it. Let's not be a people who miss it. Let's not be a people who miss Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is God's anointed who saves sinners like you and me, who bring nothing into the kingdom. But yet he allows us to feast at his table as sons and daughters of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, awaken us if we're sleeping. Lord, break us if we're holding anything in front of our eyes that causes us to miss who you are. Father, feed us. Feed us with the life that you have given us in Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.